Hi guys and welcome back for episode, I believe it's 17. We did miss a week, so we might be all over the shop numbers wise. We had a boat party and look, let's just face <clears> it, <throat> it was a struggle to it really get through this week. It was, it's been almost a week and I'm still tired. I feel like my hangovers and everything get longer as I get older. And by the time I recovered, it was Thursday, which was yesterday. Yeah. And, uh... And now I'm feeling good. And we're just about to go away to Molly Mook for the weekend. So Well, there'll be no alcohol. No. No, we're going to a monastery. Yes, of course. <laughs> and church. Don't forget church. So you had a very eventful evening last night. Who did you run into? I did. I ran into our former Prime Minister, Tony Abbott. Our favourite. Yes. Now, for those who don't know Tony Abbott, he campaigned heavily. He's globally pretty well known for being excellent. He campaigned heavily against the same-sex marriage vote even though he has a sister who is a lesbian. Mm -hmm. So, um, look, he walked into um, the Shakespeare in Surrey Hills. It's a very popular pub, bit of a dive. Oh, yeah. And uh, if anyone doesn't know Surrey Hills, it's very sort of, I guess, liberal thinking. It's uh, It's very gay. It's very gay. (laughs) Anyway, he walked in and the first thing we heard in the room were, get the fuck out by various patrons. And uh, look, that was quite confronting because I think it's a bit, you know, a bit yeah. heavy. But I can understand why people are angry at yes, him. Yes, yes. And anyway, and then he went upstairs and um, had a drink with two people. I don't know who he was with. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he came back down and I was at the bar next to him. And I thought... Did you position yourself No, there? no. Okay. He literally came as I was ordering a drink. And I said to him, I said, Tony, hi, how are you? And he said, oh, I'm good, mate. I'm good. And I said, look, I have to ask you do you have any regrets? And he said, oh, we all have regrets. You know, that's part of life. Yes, but you were the prime minister. So we want to know about your specific regrets. And then my next (laughs) question was, look, with the same-sex marriage vote, your own sister is a lesbian. I mean, surely that would have been a point of contention in your family. Yeah, how's Christmas around your dinner table? Is it something that you've reflected on and changed your mind about it all? And uh, he still believes that the traditional view of marriage is between a man and a woman, which may be right, tradition, sure. But I think we're beyond tradition now. Yeah, like we've evolved past, you know, a lot of things in the Bible. Yes, like Like tradition. Killing our children uh, (laughs) just because we don't like them very much. And tradition keeping women at home. Yes. Yeah, just because it's Enslavement. Yes, all that type of thing. So, um, look, uh, and then my next question was... Uh, I said, I sort of had to keep it quite measured. I didn't want to attack him. You know, he's allowed to come to a bar. Yeah. And then I said, and he gave me the time of day. And I said to him, and on the other note, George Pell, are you still friends with George Pell? And he said, yes, yes, of course I am. He was found not guilty of child abuse. Um, But was found guilty of covering up child abuse? I think uh, it was oh, well, very... it wasn't found guilty, but it no. was, you know, it's pretty I wild. think he knew about yes. it. And I think that's the point of contention. And look, as we know, uh, throughout the courts, not everyone gets justice. Yes. Um, sometimes they do. I'm not suggesting that he is guilty. Yes. But look, you know, the legal system is complicated. More generally speaking, sometimes people aren't convicted who should be. Not talking about George Pell, just making a general sweeping a, comment. Yeah, and look, we have to, you know, you have to respect the legal system yeah. and, and that's what was found. But of course, it, it still remains a very sore point among many mm-hmm. Australians, particularly the survivors of clergy abuse. Now, yes. um, my last question, and then I went on to the bushfires and I said, uh, and I said, do you know who I am? And he said, oh... No. And I said, oh, well, 
uh, I'm a journalist with the ABC. And he said, oh, okay. And, uh, and <laughs> Let then I me said, just revise everything I just told you. And in the height of the bushfire <laughs> crisis last year, he was out fighting fires, which yes. is quite admirable, yes. seeing a prime minister out there fighting fires. And uh, As a volunteer firefighter. Yeah, yeah. Clear. And yeah. look, you know, that was really quite remarkable, I thought. And uh, I said to him, look, I saw you at the fires near Kuma down in the Snowy Mountains. And I actually went over to... to you know, get a grab from you with my microphone for TV. And uh, he uh, put his window up and kept driving. Uh, so, look, I think at that point in time, he probably was concerned that there would be a political question thrown at him. He was very much focused on fighting fires, yeah. which is what we wanted to do. He was a former prime minister at yes. that time too. So, um, look, you know, I think he was What did kind he of, say when he said that? He said, oh, oh, okay, yes. He goes, we haven't had a bushfire season this year. It's been good. Um, so he didn't refer to the fact that no he put no, the window up on you no, which no. i look i i actually have some respect for that that it's yeah. like you were doing your job but he's he's doing his job as a volunteer firefighter in the yeah. worst fire season australia has ever seen so i have to give him credit where credit is and due. our current prime minister was over in hawaii yeah. so we've got in to give him credit board there. shorts and flip-flops exactly. having a nice juice by the beach so um so after that i said to him i said oh okay you know wrapped up the conversation and uh and then, and he said, "Oh, look, good to see you." And he pat me on the back, and then I sort of moved on. So, look, he was he was polite. He yeah. gave me the time of He's day. A politician, of exactly. course, he was going to be polite, and Mark. Look, he, like, don't give him points no, for I, that. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. But for someone who I guess is quite controversial <laughs> yeah. and has people coming up to them all the time, where he's just been told to get the f out of exactly the park. Yeah, a few times. Enough, I think enough. it was it was remarkable that he still. And I said to him as well, "Does that get to you that people yeah. constantly are?" you know, yelling profanities at you because I'm sure it happens all the time. <laughs> and uh, and he sort of Just looked at me. Just uh, assuming that people don't like you very much. But I'm going to say that to your face. People don't like you, do they, Tony? And he said it. And he said, look, it happens all the time. And sometimes it gets really bad and oh. other times it's not. So, but, you know, I guess that's part of being in the public eye. Yeah, and look, we've made it clear. When we talk about politics, it's not about the individual. Let's not get mm. to the point where we're so divided that we can't have a conversation. Like no. if, you t- if you tell someone to F off and get out of a pub, you can't have a conversation like you I did. I don't think you should tell anyone to get to no, F off in a pub. No, um, I agree. But anyway, let's move on. Yes. So uh, I think we'll sort of hit pause on the... Uh, uh, news that we promised in the last episode which was about your emerging career in porn we'll leave that for the end of the episode just don't let me forget to bring it up with you so we'll top and sure. tail it with tony and <laughs> mark's instagram being hijacked and used for uh less than savory purposes but this week we wanted to talk about a story which came out i think it was in the last 24 hours about megan markle publishing a thousand word essay in the new york times revealing that uh, she suffered a miscarriage. And we obviously want to preface this episode by saying this is clearly potentially a very upsetting subject for people if they choose not to listen to this episode. That's completely understandable. Um, but, uh, yeah, she she revealed for the first time in this essay that she'd suffered a miscarriage and went into the detail uh, about when and how it happened and the fact that she was talking about it essentially because there is still such a taboo around uh, uh, miscarriages and the grief associated with it and that so much of it happens in secrecy. Did you get a chance to read the essay? I did read it and uh, I think it was interesting. She kept saying that we really need to keep asking the question, are you okay? And mm-hmm. as we know in Australia, there is that great mental health charity called Are You Okay? They've been doing great work for years 
um, and every year they have Are You Okay Day yeah. and, and they're suggesting ask that question to checking anyone. In, checking in with people. But that it should actually be a part of your daily conversation. Mm-hmm. If you see someone crying in the street and in that um, op-ed in the New York Times, Megan Markle wrote about how she vividly remembers being in New York and saying to the cab driver, you know, when she was moving over there, uh, that woman on the street, she's crying. Um, you know, this is very strange, you know, to see someone crying so publicly. And um, the cab driver said, oh, we're New Yorkers. We, we express our emotions in public. You know, that's part of who we are. And uh, don't worry, someone will ask her if she's okay. You mm. know, that's how this city operates. And then obviously the cab, you know, the next traffic like moved and she she went on and she said that she still thinks about that day in yeah. light of what's happened with uh the miscarriage because she said what if someone didn't ask this woman if she was okay mm. and then she refers to uh when she was um she had just had her firstborn and she was on tour with harry and she was exhausted and one journalist said to her, um, are you okay? And that she's, great interview. And instead of saying, you know, no, I'm not okay, she said, um, th- you know, you're the first person to ask me this, mm-hmm. you know, thank you for asking me this. And, um, of course, I think she was measured in her language because she is a public figure. Mm. Um, but, you know, r- just writing about how important that question is those three words i thought was really interesting yeah so i'm just going to read an excerpt from the essay so people kind of know what we're talking about she goes into detail about the day that uh the miscarriage took place so she says it was a morning that began as ordinarily as any other day make breakfast feed the dogs take vitamins find that missing sock pick up the road rogue crayon that rolled under the table throw my hair in a ponytail before getting my son from his crib after changing his diaper i felt a sharp cramp I dropped to the floor with him in my arms, humming a lullaby to keep us both calm. The cheerful tune, a stark contrast to my sense that something was not right. And later she recounts that she lay in a hospital bed, holding my husband's hand. I felt the clamminess of his palm and kissed his knuckles, wet from both our tears. Staring at the cold white walls, my eyes glazed over. I tried to imagine how we'd heal. So clearly it's a really searing account of something that a lot of people go through. You know, one in four pregnancies will end in miscarriage, which is a pretty incredible statistic given that we don't hear Mm. about personal accounts like this. And uh, I think also she spoke about how she kept drawing parallels about um, the social isolation created by the pandemic Mm -hmm. and how a lot of people have felt more alone than ever And she made heaps of different examples within that article about, um, you know, a a mother waking up to news that her son had been killed in a car crash. Mm -hmm. Like those sort of references, not that exact one. Yes, um, tragedy. Yeah, just this this really heavy tragedy that keeps um, popping its head up almost every day Mm -hmm. uh, in this year that is 2020. So, um, and I thought that was interesting how... You know, she sort of linked her experience to the general experience felt by so many in 2020. Yeah. But uh, I think it is also very remarkable uh, and great that she's spoken out because I know myself, my mum had a miscarriage and um, between my brother and me. And I only found out about that not that long ago. Yes, yeah. And um, I think, you know, it is something for some reason that it's... um, considered such a taboo subject but i also know many women that have had um miscarriages but also abortions that don't talk about it but for some reason you know people 
tend to tell me these things yeah. and which I'm really honored to have that to know that and have that relationship with so many people but it's really really common yeah I had a miscarriage at 20 yeah right yeah it was obviously you know not something that was planned it was not you know this great tragic loss because it wasn't and it's something I intended you know mm. to uh follow through I would have essentially not have had the child and it was taken out of my hands because I had a miscarriage but even though it wasn't a child that I uh was you know likely gonna have it was still a hugely uh upsetting time and even what your body goes through physically and hormonally is really really um quite shocking and then on top of that if this is a child who you are intentionally bringing into the world that loss is is enormous uh so megan has been criticized i mean she's been really really celebrated by a lot of media outlets and a lot of high profile people uh, and a, a lot of the media feedback is really positive but she has been criticized for sharing something which is essentially you know very private so publicly which has remnants of what happened to Chrissy Teigen in the last couple of months she and her husband John Legend they lost their uh, child Jack uh, uh, that was a miscarriage as well and she shared these really searing photos of her in the midst of this miscarriage in the hospital which are heartbreaking and there was resounding criticism probably mm. on a far greater scale than what Meghan Markle is experiencing where it was essentially that uh, she was being accused of attention seeking and that, you know, sharing this was for no other purpose than wow. to essentially bring attention to herself. That's sad. And so it, 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 it calls into question what do we sort of uh, see as appropriate as far as even just public grief generally, right? This idea that, you know, these private moments should be kept private and they shouldn't be but shared. But why? I mean, it's such an outdated view. I know, view. I know. And it's, I really it, don't but, understand that because we are, we are encouraging now with particularly with mental health mm-hmm. and there are links to mental health with this absolutely um, we tell people to speak out are you okay day mm-hmm. um you know we celebrate people who talk about their eating disorders we celebrate people who talk about depression yes we're saying please come out and do this because this is the only way in some cases yes. you will survive yes and um and i also respect p- some people like to grieve privately and have um i know alcoholism for example um some people like to keep that private when they are recovering some people like to be open and honest so uh, i think it really is up to the individual so there's no right or wrong answer however i think criticizing someone for being brave enough to talk about it or take that way of therapy Mm -hmm. a public way of therapy should not be criticized yeah and also because grief is something we're all going to experience Mm. Sure, a miscarriage isn't necessarily a form of grief that we're all going to experience, but grief is shared. Grief mm. is something that none, no one's getting out of this life thing without experiencing grief. I think also what has really been interesting with the pandemic too is I, I know a lot of support networks that go to hospitals to help women with postnatal or um, miscarriages or any sort of difficulty. Um, even um, Even the prisons have been shut, you know, to visitors and so there's been this whole wall around all these various agencies Uh, and so pregnancy and and having a miscarriage or anything like that Mm. has been very uh, almost inflated in a way by the fact that there are a lot of peer support networks that haven't been able to go into hospitals because of the risk of transmitting 
uh, COVID-19. And also limited access to your support network, your family, mm. your friends, etc. So there's this greater need for sort of global community and online community to mm. be able to share these things. And look, I can understand it from the perspective that, you know, when my dad passed away last year, I had spoken on and off about his experience with terminal cancer. And then when he died, I had this in- intense desire to share him with the world and, mm. sh- and share the love that I had with him with the world. I can't explain the feeling, but it was like, I've got to put this love somewhere, right? I don't have it to give to this person anymore. And I loved him so deeply and, and, and he was such an extraordinary person. I wanted people to hear about him. And my sister and I, we recorded a podcast, you know, within about 10 days of him passing away because we wanted to get that on record, how we were feeling and how much we loved him and, you know, what we'd experienced with him and our mm. favorite memories, etc. And looking back, would I do that again? No. Now I do want to keep that relationship with him fairly private yeah. and my grief private, but I cannot express the feeling. It was like a compulsion. It was, I want people to know about this yeah. person yeah. and I want a piece of him out there in the world and for the world to know about him. Um, and that was a big part of my healing at the time. Like I said, I don't have that compulsion to do that now. Now it's turned to something a bit more private. But that was really important for me to process my grief. Mm. And you cannot tell people how to grieve either. You can't dictate how somebody's going to process something as enormous as losing a child or losing a parent or losing a partner or whomever it is. Uh, you've got to kind of just respect what they need to do to be okay. Like you said, like these big life events have mental health implications. For me, like I went on to experience PTSD and depression after my dad died. Mm. If I couldn't speak about that openly, imagine what kind of state I would have been in. Of course. And I think um, also there's been a lot of talk about the palace responding or not responding. And I think so far they haven't responded. They have. They have now. They said it was, look, they did, but they pretty much shouldn't have. It was very terse and brief. It was, they said it's a deeply personal matter that we would not comment on. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm a bit divided on this. Okay, I, I think, um, I think in a way it's not for anyone. I would, I mean, it's not for anyone to just jump on board and, and comment. We know that Meghan Markle's father, for example, mm. Um, he's been very public with his views on Has everything. Has he come out and said anything? Well, I don't think so. I don't think so either. But But he has about everything else and it's yeah. really, really messed up her Matter life. Of and time. Exactly. Yeah. And so I kind of feel in a way, well, maybe the palace has been silent on it because it's her thing. Yes. You know, so it's hard to read yes. too much well, into it. Much like everything else that the palace releases. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so as far as the impact of this, the knock-on effect, like I said, there's been a lot of support for Meghan Markle uh, from particularly from charities. So one uh, charity worker, Sophie King, a midwife at a UK child loss charity called Tommy's, she said uh, that miscarriage and stillbirth still remains a uh, taboo in society. So Mm. mothers like Megan sharing their stories is a vital step in breaking down that stigma and shame. Her honesty and openness today send a powerful message to anyone who loses a baby. This may feel incredibly lonely. I hope you... But, uh, but you are not alone. Mm. And we've, there's been an increase, particularly in the UK, in calls to helplines and mm. charities from women who have recently and even, you know, years before lost a baby who never sought help yeah. initially, yeah. who they now feel like they can reach out for help mm. thanks to this um, s- subject kind of being 
um, exposed, I, I suppose. I think the palace probably could have maybe just added another line in their statement saying something like, you know, um, you know, our, our hearts or, you know, our um, love for That's Megan. already too but, you warm. Know, <laughs> no, I know. But just, you know, you know I think yeah. it could have softened it like slightly. Like that, but robotic. Mm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it really it could have just been such a throwaway line yes. about being support in you know we look support. there might be more to the statement that's really how i've seen it somehow I, I think i don't places. think there is actually so um oh, really yeah oh, i think that's one liner i've kept a brief yikes but i mean there is a reason they moved to new york um she's family and this is harry and his family as well no right? no i meant like there is a reason they stepped away from the royal oh, family I th- oh okay yeah. I've, I've just inverted so, that comments meaning so it yeah, makes yeah. a lot of sense yes um, as to why and also I, I think thought it was is... great when they decided I'm done oh I think that I think mm. it's amazing I think it's yeah. also reflective of the fact that you know we were watching a cycle happen all over again which happened to Princess Diana and mm. how could Harry have watched that from a child's perspective of his mother being treated the way that she was and now watching it happening again with your wife and not take action anyway that's a podcast for another day um but there was a comment that was made in an article from um, so, sort of just to talk about the impact and the importance of shedding light on subjects which are, you know, difficult but really shared, which is a young woman uh, who was interviewed by the ABC, Annabelle Bauer. She said, often families haven't revealed they're having another baby and then they lose that baby. So it's very hard to announce loss and life in the same sentence, which is so true. You know, mm. you're very often not at that three month mark where people usually announce when the loss takes place. So it does happen in, in secrecy and isolation a lot, purely for the fact that people don't even know there's a baby to mourn. Uh, you are overjoyed that your family is going to be getting bigger and you're going to welcome another baby. You just never think it's going to go wrong. So when it does and when it happens to you, it's just an overwhelming experience of disbelief, grief, sorrow. And it is vital to have people to reach out to during that time. Mm. I think also we know that Meghan Markle's suing a British newspaper for the letters between her father that were revealed publicly. So mm. it's nice to see that this was on her terms. Yes. That it wasn't leaked. Um, so that's also... Well, that's like people coming out and saying, oh, it's just it just blows my mind how just ignorant people can be when they say, you know, they've spoken publicly about the fact that they want to keep their lives private and... You know, now she's revealing this deeply personal thing. That is her choice. That's the difference is that if you, it's like with me, Mm. if I had something that happened to me and somebody made a YouTube video about it, that's different to me. There are certain things you reveal, certain things you don't. Within my own control, sharing what I want to share, right? It's, It's totally down to her agency over her own story and her own life and what she chooses to share and what she chooses to keep private that is different Mm. to can you please not hide in a bush and jump out at me and my family and my infant child to try to get a photo that you're going to make millions of pounds off Mm. like those two things are a little different that's true right um so speaking of something a little different i want to talk about the heroes of the pandemic okay so we all know that when the lockdown first began and i know many countries are still in lockdown and might be experiencing this right now yeah which is why I want to raise it, is that when restaurants and bars shut, when everything kind of went into a shell, who 
were still running who the were world. The, who were the MVPs of the pandemic? <laughs> Uber Eats drivers, food delivery drivers, Deliveroo, uh, Panda. I forget the Panda one. And anyway, <laughs> I don't even know. What there is a Panda one, and yeah. um, and look, they were working around the clock. Many uh, international students who lost their job during COVID, who weren't eligible for government support, then got roles as food delivery drivers to keep going and make money. Now, already we know uh, some of these d- food delivery drivers are paid as low as $10 an hour, which might How make... How is that legal, though? We which, have But that's after wage. cost. But this has uh, all got to do with the gig economy, which is the tech economy. Gotcha. So um, this is why there is a loophole in, I guess, workplace standards when it comes to the gig economy. Now... Uh, so they're paid uh, around $10.40 an hour, some of them. Uh, uh, a recent survey by the Transport Workers Union. Can I just say Americans are probably listening to this being like, $10.40 an hour? What, a, what an absolute, like, gold mine. So just so you know, in America, $10 an hour is very low in Australia because, hold on, because the minimum wage here I think is Sixteen dollars yeah, or fifteen. I think it's close to seventeen. Yeah, maybe even higher. Yeah. But the thing is, as well, we don't have a tipping culture here. Yes. So well, when you go to a re- or when you go to a restaurant, you don't tip really, unless it's really good service yeah. or there's a big group of you. Like because, you go to a cafe, you don't tip. No, because yeah. they and they're getting paid usually around twenty five an hour, yes. sometimes twenty two. So it's enough to live on. So our, our standards of living here are actually better in terms of getting paid yes. and and cost of living is high but we pay people appropriately enough to you can live in sydney mostly working in hospitality quite easily yes not easily but you can get by yeah so um back to what we're talking about so there was a survey by the transport workers union that said 70 percent of food delivery drivers feared for their lives or being seriously injured while at work now that's quite concerning yeah uh, we, high, high, we also high know that many Uber drivers and free delivery drivers are without insurance. So because they're considered as contractors under these agreements, uh, they are uninsured. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because uh, in two months, there have been five delivery drivers killed on Australian roads that we know of. Wow. And I'm sure many more injured. Mm. Now, uh, in Sydney, there were two killed in the space of two days. Holy moly. So one was in Redfern, the other was in um, Sydney South. Um, And uh, I actually covered the one most recently, which was a a weekend or two ago. And um, it was shocking. And without going into the details, his body was pretty much mangled. He got hit by a truck. The truck driver stopped. The truck driver was devastated. Of course. But also what it really brings into play here is um, the fact that they are essentially running society in some areas of the world at the moment. They are crucial to uh, us experiencing any sort of normality in terms of ordering from a restaurant. And I think it's really sad that uh, they are treated so badly, not only do they get paid nothing not only do they fear for their lives every time they go to work they are under under enormous time pressures if they don't get the food to a certain place in a certain time they get a low rating exactly everyone should be and i i really thought about this and i tip you know if there's some if it's raining i always Mm, tip because it's like they're out on bicycles at night in the rain but the other thing is is that um so for example when you sign up to be an uber driver Mm. 
you just have to, I think it's pretty much watching a small video, but a lot of these Uber drivers are foreigners because Australians and I'm sure Americans mm. don't want to do those That's jobs. Right. So, you know, when you start talking about queue jumpers and all that stuff again, forget it because there are people here, there are foreigners here doing those jobs and, and because none making of us your, else... Making your cozy, exactly. cozy Sunday night at home Because no one wants to do them. It's yeah. just like the crisis uh, in regional Australia now because all the backpackers have gone back, all the fruit pickers, there's no one to pick fruit and no Australians want to do it. So it's these like farmers a, are struggling. It's like in America, let's get rid of all the Mexicans and the immigrants. Exactly. Who's going to pick your avocados, mate? Who's Who, going to make... Who's going to work... Where's your guacamole going to come who's from? Who's going to work at the food court, That's you know, right. shoveling rubbish into a bin? Yeah. And, and taking out all that gross stuff that comes within a food court. Yeah. Um, but uh, what? I, why I'm so, I guess, fired up about this is because um, the other thing is, is that many of these tech companies, including Uber, mm. uh, don't provide them with training of our road rules. Oh they my don't gosh. provide them with um, reflective equipment. No, they don't. Um, there isn't, um, you know, mandatory. Even their bags are black. Uh, yeah, some of them. Holy and crap. so there, there's no, this. there's no sort of, I guess, standard benchmark in terms of what you wear. You should be high vis because a lot of them train at night. Yes. Well, sorry, work at night, and um, even just sort of, um, I guess, indicators on bikes, those type of things. So, I actually, when I first um, read about this story and when I first covered it initially I was like well you know what a lot of them ride on the footpath which you're not allowed to do in Australia it's yeah. like you should be fined they ride on the footpath they swerve in and out yeah I got often... hit by a bike on a footpath <laughs> exactly but so but there is another there is a, a story behind it all and that's yeah. why I want to talk about this is because the story is they're under enormous time pressure they yeah. get paid nothing they um, work in awful conditions. People are rude to them. People are rude to them. Um, they are constantly near misses with cars and all that. So what really needs to take place is they need to be put through, like you are when you go to get your license, a rigorous test of the road rules. They need to be given reflective equipment. Mm -hmm. They need to make sure their bikes are serviced properly. Insure um, that they're insured. They need to make sure they're insured. I mean, as if you're earning $10 an hour, as if you can afford insurance as well. explain to me, how are they getting paid under our minimum wage? Because it's it's got to do with, uh, I think, once you, once you minus costs. So, you know, I guess upkeep of bikes, all that, there's all that type of thing. How so, much does it cost to maintain a bike? Well, I mean, if you're riding around all day, you've got to fix the tires that's wild. I just, I just can't imagine how yeah. that is, that's got to be a loophole. Yeah. It's so got to be. The good thing is the New South Wales state government has uh, announced a task force to investigate these deaths. Good. So that was announced by the Transport Minister, Andrew Constance. And, uh, and Uber's him. also said that it will be prepared to uh, play a leading role uh, because clearly uh, there needs to be improvement in standards of safety on our roads when it comes to Uber drivers. So word of advice, if you are ordering food over the weekend from your food delivery driver, firstly, be nice. And if Say they're a thank bit you. late, it's because they're probably trying not to get hit by a truck. Exactly. And don't be so rude because yeah. they're... And I, look, I... I have been uh, guilty of being like, where are you? Yeah, like yeah. you've gone the wrong way and... And so I, I'm putting my hand up and saying I have 
um, been brash with Uber drivers before yeah. um, in terms of food delivery. So a bit hungover. I am so sorry if I've yeah, ever been uh, been um, terse or you know cold. Impatient. And so from now on, when my food is really late, I'm still going to give them five stars. Just chuck it in the oven for yeah, ten minutes. Exactly. It'll be fine. Yeah. Right. So. Um, you know, a word of advice for the weekend. When I you're hungover on a Sunday, <laughs> put that mood away and be nice. Take a couple of Panadol. Yes. Put your feet up. Yeah. Pop on something on Netflix. Life's not that bad. And get over yourself. Yeah, exactly. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully there's a nice little promo code to go with it. You know. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and tip, maybe tip your Uber drivers mm. as well. I'm going to start doing that more yeah. from now on now that I know that I they're know. getting paid like a, a ridiculously low amount compared to our minimum yeah. wage. So that sort of rounds out our two topics. But of course, we can't leave people hanging with your oh. new foray into okay. a backup career should media fail you. So very quickly, my someone set up a fake Instagram with my photos. Look, ready. Mark yeah, with no A. With like a missed, missing a letter and an only fan. It wasn't only fans. It was just for fans account, yeah. which of course is like amateur porn. Now, full disclaimer, I'm not changing careers. No. And uh, also... You could, within, Well, but... People would pay. <laughs> within, a few, within a few days, I had, had been taken down and that was because I went through the Instagram system. So they responded well. Um, look, there were no compromising photos. There was one post that was a bit So when it came gross. to my attention, you'd put it up on your story to say, fake please account report. can someone please report because mm. this, this is ha- this has happened to you before but mm. it wasn't uh it wasn't like a porn no account. it was just a random it was just fake a random account. thing yeah um but so you put it up to report i clicked on it i clearly clicked on it after you'd had a look at it because stories had gone up mm. and i messaged you and i said oh my god doll that account is terrible mm. and you said oh you know it's not that bad like i've reported it i'll take it down i was like have you looked at the stories and you yeah. said no, and I sent you the screenshots. Because well, they where... blocked me, so I had to get this information yeah, exactly. from others. Yeah, and you <laughs> just I just saw the three dots, and it was like, oh my mm. god, yeah. because they had put up a photo which was hopefully something like shampoo on a you know shower screen, it's disgusting, made to look like something else. Uh, so it was like dicey. It looked obviously fake but if it kept going and they kept uploading your photos it could have looked real old me would have been freaking out but I wasn't I was sort of like you know what it's not me yeah put up whatever you want but it's not actually me and so I sort of thought everyone that knows me knows that that's not me so um you know sorry if you had hopes of me um changing career or (laughs) some sort of new uh angle in life but uh it's that good, won't be happening it's yet it's always good to have a backup <laughs> options right? yeah yeah so, I, I mean i probably would have earned more money than journalism oh, absolutely <laughs> you would absolutely anyway, right that won't be happening no uh so guys thank you so much for joining us for another episode we're about to jump in the car and head down to actually nice tie-in with this episode so we talked about harry and megan and where are we going to stay oh we're staying at a house where princess diana stayed when she came to australia on holidays before she married charles so it's my friend sarah from school it's her family home they've owned it for like decades and when 
Diana was about to marry Charles, she was brought out for like a holiday before her whole life became everybody's business. And it hasn't changed And it has then. not changed. So I'm so determined to sleep in every single bed to say, <laughs> I slept in the same bed as Princess Diana. <laughs> so where <laughs> Because are, I deserve it. You deserve it, I deserve it, to be treated you, like royalty. You, you do. You work so okay. hard. So guys, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode if we don't go on a boat party and kind of forget that we have a podcast. Uh, but have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you soon. Enjoy.